John A. Tate, James Tate's on the panel, and we'll be doing a lot of talking. A lot of talking today, howdy howdy. We're without M. Collard today. M's enjoying beautiful weather and beaches in bloody Western Australia, which I think is very selfish of them. But what can you do? They're also soaking in a bit of Matilda's fever. Ah, yes. Because the Tillies have been playing three games over there, all sold mm. out, which we'll talk to in a minute. But This bef- is the sporting record, by the way. This is the sporting CCR. record. You begin to be carried away sometimes. <laughs> We're here to talk about sport and stuff, aren't we, John? Yes, and, you know, sport can be radical. Yes, sport is a radical place, despite what some people say. Sport is political, because, unfortunately, everything is political. <laughs> everything is about who gets what, where, when, and how, and that's politics, and sport is no different. So before we get started, we'd just like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation, on whose lands we broadcast this program, and we'd like to also extend our thanks and respect to all the First Nations peoples who have contributed to our sporting life on this so-called continent, and we would just like to say that sovereignty was never ceded. So, Johnny, Matildas, what do you reckon? Well... It's funny, you were around at my place last night and we were watching docos, we watched the Wiggles doco and we watched the, uh, the, Sparks the Sparks Brothers doco and I completely forgot that the Matildas were playing. As two amateur sports journos, <laughs> that was absolutely shithouse by <laughs> us, it? it was awful. But I think it also goes to show we were very confident that they would win these three games by a fair margin and they did. So the Matildas uh, played three games in this Olympics qualifying uh, round, I guess you'd call it. First off, they played Iran and won 2-0, thanks to goals from Ali Carpenter and Sam Kerr. Then they played against the Philippines, and believe it or not, they won 8-0, which is enormous. Eight goals to nothing. But you know what? I've actually got respect for the Philippines, because the Philippines tried to play. They tried to attack and that's why we end up getting so many goals. Whereas the team before, who was Iran. it? Uh, Iran, played a very negative game, which was not good to watch. They had nine players sitting back in defence. Every time they got a little tap on the foot, they were rolling around in agony, holding yep. their head. Yep. So it wasn't a great game to watch. It was the Philippines game. They were, they were giving it a go. They were well, giving it a red-hot crack. That's always the tension in sport. Do you attack, attack, attack and try and win, or you defend, defend, defend and try not to lose? Especially when it's a mismatch of uh, abilities. Yes, so Philippines 8-0. We had goals, one from Mary Fowler, three from Sam Kerr, three from Caitlin Ford, and one to good old Kate, Claire Wheeler. Who and she was terrific. Yeah. Didn't get on the ground during the um, the World Cup. No. Was in the squad. Yep. But... I'm very pleased she's been given a role, and didn't she take it, grasp it with both hands? Yes, so that's great to see, opening up her scorecard. It's a Claire, Claire Wheeler. Claire Wheeler. Yeah, she's great. And then the Matildas played Chinese Taipei and won 3-0, again, thanks to goals from Mary Fowler, Sam Kerr, and good old Tamika Yallop got on the scoreboard as well. Uh, just a political question. Is Chinese Taipei the same thing as Taiwan? Now, I assume not, but this is the wrong person. I think it is. Ask. I think it is. I think it's the same place. 
right. for some reason in sport, this is my understanding, oh, I'm happy to be corrected if I'm wrong, in sport, Olympic Games and anything else, that country is known as Chinese Taipei. I don't know if that's to appease the big People's Republic of China by calling them that name. I don't know. But they don't go by Taiwan. Okay. The term Taiwan or China or Taipei China was rejected by the ROC government because it would simply be construed as Taiwan being a subordinate region to uh, wherever. So I think you're right. Ah. So there you go. We're learning things every day, Yeah, that's John. right. So that's a little political aspect. It turns up in sport all the time. So the Matilda's bandwagon is ongoing. It hasn't stopped. It's gone from strength to strength. And uh, just over the last few days, the Matilda's notched up 200 wins since their inception in international football. Huh? 200 wins okay. in, what, 30 years, just about? Which is amazing. That's great. And a lot of those wins are coming in the second half of their existence, which just shows... The more we invest in these women, the better they get, the more views they get, the better it is for our country and our culture. And keep in mind, it's a pretty strong generation of players we've got at the moment there. Yeah. And, um, teams go through ups and downs and uh, good times and bad times, so we're having a pretty good time at the moment. Yes. So to qualify for the Olympics, which is what all this is about, the Matildas now must beat a team close to your heart, John, Uzbekistan. <sighs> in a two-legged home-and-away playoff in oh. February to secure one of the two spots given to Asian Confederation teams. Wow. So those teams are Australia, North Korea, Japan, and Uzbekistan, of course, um, who have all secured their places among the final four in Asia by topping the three groups, with Uzbekistan joining them as the best-placed runner-up thanks to a 3-0 win over India. <laughs> Uzbekistan... Uh, I was there recently. Yes. It's a beautiful place, incredible place, very modern. So I'm oh. not surprised that they're, they're pretty good in the world of soccer. Uh, it's not a poor country. They're, they're doing quite well. So I'm sure they can invest in sport. Yes. Now, my guide in Uzbekistan yep. was a soccer fan. And what, what was his name? Oh, his name was Horshitz. <laughs> and um, as a tour group, we were probably a bit mean because we found that extremely funny. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite rude to laugh at someone's name behind yes, their back. So, But we had a lot of fun asking him questions. Uh, excuse me, horseshit, uh, <laughs> where are we going next? No, so. uh, but horseshit, he said that uh, he remembers Australia men yep. playing against Uzbekistan yeah. and we beat them 8-0. <laughs> that was in a World Cup qualifier a couple of World Cups ago. Yeah, well, there you go. So we're going to do something we don't normally do now, John, and I'm going to spring this <laughs> yes, on you. Yes. We've got a little bit of rugby news. Rugby news? Men's rugby news. League or union? Uh, international, which is a union, union I believe. So um, Australia, to put it bluntly, did absolutely shit out in the recent Rugby World Cup that was won by South, of South Africa, I believe. But I thought we had the best coach in the world. Well, apparently not. So uh, just to recap, Australia lost to Wales and Fiji... Uh, but beat Georgia and Portugal, uh, okay. to, and they came third in their group uh, based on a points differential, and that meant they did not go through, right. and Fiji and Wales did. Fiji aren't to be sneezed at. They're bloody good. Neither is Wales. They're passionate about rugby. So, look, I don't, I don't blame Australia for losing to those two countries. They are good countries with good rugby, uh, good rugby cultures. 
but recently, Rugby Australia has just confirmed an external review of the Wallabies' disastrous 2023 season will be conducted in the wake of their early exit of the World Cup. Former Wallabies Andrew Slack and Justin Harrison will be joined by high-performance specialist Darlene Harrison on a three-person panel, while a Pacifica advisor will also support the review process. The Wallabies were dumped from the World Cup in France at the conclusion of the pool stage, the first time they had failed to advance to the quarterfinals at the tournament Whose in its history. Whose word is dumped? Who, who said that? Uh, that's according to ABC Sport. <laughs> so some journalist has used the word dumped. And they've also dumped their coach. They're going to look for a new one, I believe. Didn't he say... Oh, OK. Didn't he say he was there for the long term and he's uh, committed to Australia and... Well, if he hasn't been dumped yet, there are serious Talking through marks. forked tongue, I think, there. Eddie Jones. Mm. So that's that. Um, do you want to talk about some cricket? Oh, I hadn't planned to. What well, would you like to say? Just... Um, we're doing a bit of a round robin here, we are. Dad. We're doing a bit of everything today. So it won't be detailed, but just to say, Australia and the Men's World Cup in cricket are playing England next after a few dominant performances and also a loss to India, who are so far undefeated in the wow. World Cup. But two pieces of news. Mitch Marsh is not going to play for the rest of the World Cup due to personal reasons. Oh. So whatever those personal reasons are, Mitch, I hope you're okay. Hope your family's all right. Good luck to you. But good old bloody Glenn Maxwell's done it again. Well, he's injured. How did he get injured? In the nets or, or, no. or you know, did he get struck during the game? No, or? Glenn Maxwell did what he always does. He gets injured in a strange context. Um, he fell off a golf cart and is unable to play the next match under concussion protocols. Golf carts don't pick up a lot of speed, do they? No, but if you can fang them a bit and get over a hill, and oh. you know, and that's what people like to do. I don't want to play golf, but I want to get in a golf cart and do some <laughs> do some doughies. That's what I want. Okay. Now, AFLW. I was going to ask you about basketball. Oh going, yes. Over the last couple of weeks, I've all I've heard is two names: Ben Simmons. Yep. And that French guy Windermeyer. Wembenyama. That's the one. So, What's going on with them? Well, men's basketball in America has kicked off. This is the NBA, which is the biggest league in the world, both in terms of money and talent. And it's great because the thing about basketball is you have about 10 games every day. Or, you know, some days there are three three games, some days there are 10 games. So for those who are bored and unemployed, like myself, the basketball season's a miracle. Because you wake up and you go, oh, God, what am I going to do? Oh, there's some basketball on. That's good. I'll, I'll put that on and think about my life while I watch it. So the same normal things are happening. You know, LeBron James is on the Lakers, and they're meant to be pretty good. The best player in the world at the moment is a fella named Nikola Jokic, who's a Serbian fella. And to look at him, you wouldn't think, oh, that's the best basketballer in the world. He's tall. He's slow. He's very doughy. You know, he's not a, he doesn't have a six-pack. But his hand-eye coordination and his footwork for someone who's seven feet tall and pretty heavy is just unbelievable. So the thinking is, his team, Denver, is probably going to be the best team in the league at this point. But what is taking the basketball world by storm, John, is this new young kid, Victor Wembenyama, a French guy, just got drafted into the league a couple months ago as the number one pick. And people are saying he's the best prospect in basketball since LeBron James, who is arguably the greatest player of all time, 
or maybe the best prospect ever. I did see a bit of vision of him, very brief. Would you say he's a beanpole? Well, yes. So he is something that we don't see very often, and people often describe people like him as aliens because he's about seven foot four, maybe seven foot five. You know, they lie about their height sometimes okay. for, for whatever reason. Well, we all do that. But he's between seven foot four and seven foot six, depending on what shoes he's wearing and so forth. So he is enormously tall, but he moves as if he was, you know, Steph Curry. He he can run, he can change direction, he can jump. He's incredibly long arms. So the people are calling him an alien because if you're that tall, normally you're very slow and you're big and your hand-eye coordination is not very good. Victor, or as people call him Wimby, is just a freak. You're not meant to move like that when you're seven foot four. You're not meant to be able to shoot like he can when you're seven foot four. So I know. Can I ask you? Yeah, being skinny on. and light. Is that a disadvantage when someone's trying to block you or uh, or just knock you off balance? Well, to an extent. The, the idea is for someone that skinny and tall, you can body them. But because they are so tall, even if you knock them out of the way, they can reach over the top of you and just mm. block the ball out of your hand. You know, when they're that long and skinny, it's a real problem. So the world has gone a bit crazy these last few weeks you know the news cycle's pretty awful but if you want something to brighten your day or make you go oh that's interesting just look up victor Wembanyama highlights see the seven foot four frenchman just doing strange strange things in the basketball world so that's the main news in the basketball world the other thing john that you mentioned yeah. is ben simmons before you get into that i just to lead into ben simmons yeah being a team sport, one thing I love about team sports is there's there's a role to play for all sorts of shapes and sizes. Yes. Now, in basketball, I suppose you've got to be tall, but uh, I've heard criticism of Ben Simmons. He doesn't score much or, or no. he, he's not very good at you know, certain shots. Yep. But he has other skills, doesn't he, that make him unique? Yes, he does. So Ben Simmons is a funny player. That's Australian Ben Simmons, yep. who never plays for our Olympic team or World Cup team because he's he's just a he, he's just a bit silly, a bit temperamental, a bit temperamental. You could call it. He has had a lot of mental health issues. So he's troubled. But he is also a bit of a prick. Okay. So you know, like, is that a technical term? Yeah, yeah, bit a bit of a dickhead. Um, so you can't blame him, but you also can. You know, the way he carries on about himself is a bit, you know, that egotistical American well, That could be thing. just immaturity. You might grow out of that. Well, you hope so, and maybe he is. So Ben Simmons was the number one pick quite a few years ago, and he was incredibly athletic, incredibly skillful, very good passer, can run, can jump. He's about six foot eight, and he plays as a point guard. He's a short guy. Nah, he's tall. <laughs> so the, the problem with Ben Simmons is he can't shoot the ball. Which so, is a pretty critical part of the game. Yes. So he was an all-star, you know. He was really good. He was rookie of the year just about. And that was all fine. But then teams figured out he can't shoot. So let's just um, let's just hack at him. So he shoots free throws and he, he can't hit him. And so he's playing for Philadelphia. And uh, this happened in the playoffs, which are their finals. And the other teams would just hack him. And by hack him, they foul him. He'd go to the free throw line. Oh, I see. So he'd have to shoot these buckets, and he wouldn't hit them. And you they... can't pass it when you're at the free throw line. No, and so they just kept doing that over and over and over again, and he would just lose them the game because he couldn't hit them. So since then, he's had a back injury. He's had mental health problems. He refused to play for the Philadelphia 76ers mm. 
didn't play for two years, got traded. Um, now he's at Brooklyn, where he has again had back injuries and stuff. But now he's come back, and he's actually looking pretty good. He still can't shoot, but because he's so good at everything else, he can get away with it. Rebound. Rebounding, passing. running, passing, you know, crashing the boards, getting the defensive. ball. You know, lay- layups, you know, running to the oh, hoop yeah, and yeah, just yeah, yeah. dunking it or laying it up. So, in terms of Australian basketball, John, Ben Simmons might be on the rise once again. And he would be an amazing top-up to our current basketball team. No matter, no matter how temperamental he is, he could cause some problems with other teams. So that's the Ben Simmons update, John. Yes. Oh, good. Thanks for explaining that. I reckon we'll jump to a few announcements now, and then when we get back, we're going to talk to one of the most talk about one of the most god awful things in all of existence: the Melbourne Cup. <laughs> Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children aged three and four can access fifteen hours per week of free kinder. Kinder programs provide culturally safe places for children and families, and are led by qualified teachers. Enroll for twenty twenty four. Speak with your preferred kinder service or local council today about how to register for a place. Corey Kids Shine at Kindergarten. Find out more at vic.gov.au forward slash kinder. Authorised by the Victorian Government Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. Trans Family is a not-for-profit organisation providing a peer support group for loved ones including parents, siblings, extended family and friends of a trans and gender diverse person. Trans Family runs discussion groups in person and online. We offer a safe space to share your experiences, ask any questions regarding your situation and provide peer support. We are especially keen to hear from loved ones in regional and rural Victoria. Donations to Trans Family are tax deductible. For more information, visit transfamily.org.au or look for us on Facebook. Trans Family is a 3CR supporter. The revolution in Rojava is a beacon of hope for the world, putting direct democracy and feminism into practice on a broad scale. This radical attempt at social transformation now faces huge challenges, including daily attacks by the Turkish military with little outside recognition or aid. Show your support for Rojava by joining North East Syria Solidarity, or NESS, and help ensure the survival of this inspiring experiment in social change. NESS sends aid, raises awareness, and builds solidarity. Get involved at www.nessolidarity.org.au. NESS is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back here to the Sporting Record here on 855 AM 3CR. This is James and John. No M. Collard today because they're off on the beautiful beaches of Western Australia. Um, but, John, I want to ask you, do you, <laughs> do you like the Melbourne Cup? Well, our listeners might be surprised that we haven't actually mentioned the Melbourne Cup yet. So we're coming up to the Melbourne Cup long weekend. But, um, oh, look, when I was younger, you'd watch it. It was sort of religious. You'd watch it. And, you know, you'd put a few bets on or you'd have a Melbourne Cup sweep. It was just kind of the thing you did. Yep. Haven't done that for a long time because I'm not really interested anymore. No, no. So 
I was grow we we I we I grew up and you lived of course in the hot spot of racing in Victoria, you know, the uh, Mooney Valley area. Yeah, yeah. Where the Mooney Valley race courses, the Flemington race courses, and like you said it was a religious thing. People I would remember- go because we had a uh, record shop there in uh, Pascoe Road, Mooney Ponds, yeah. and I can remember going on a Saturday, going out the back door just for a bit of fresh air, and I'd hear the crowd from Mooney Valley, and they'd all be singing that uh, Daryl Braithwaite song. Horses. Horses. Yeah. I think, oh my God. Yes, yeah, so I, I could go up on the Melbourne Cup for a while, but all I want to just say, and this might people might think this is a bit harsh, but I think it's valid. Everything that's wrong with our society is encapsulated in the Melbourne Cup. Every single thing that's wrong with it. So you've got animal cruelty that we all celebrate. You know, they're whipping horses, they're driving horses to their deaths. Um, uh, A a snippet we're going to play from the Nup to the Cup campaign found that about two horses die every day in the racing season, every year. And that's... Of the ones they could find, a lot of other horses, you know, disappear and go missing and, you know, they race them too young for too long and it just destroys these poor, beautiful horses who are bred nothing but for our gluttonous, stupid enjoyment. The other thing that I think is awful about the Melbourne Cup is it celebrates awful, awful damaging things, you know, gratuitous alcohol, gratuitous drug use. They don't talk about that, but there's a shitload of drug use. What, the horses or the people? Other people, the oh, people. Okay. Um, there's gratuitous gambling. You know, yeah, let's piss all our money away on watching horses get whipped and ridden to their death. There's a very bourgeois aspect to it, John. You know, let's all dress up because we're elites. This is the thing that the elites <laughs> enjoy. You know, you go back to England and... Uh, oh, they're letting people wear shorts now. It's not so bad. Yeah, well, you know, shorts... Shorts are a very Australian thing. You can, be, you can wear shorts and still be an asshole. you know. I mean, come on. Um, jockeys with eating disorders? I'm sure yep. many of them do. Oh, yeah, they would because they have to be as little as possible. But poor old jockeys. So, you know, and, you know, just you go there and you just be an asshole and you get drunk and you do drugs <laughs> and you gamble and you yell about horses getting whipped and there are fights and it's just, it's just awful, you know, just totally awful. Now, I've lived in Melbourne for my whole 63 years. I, yes. I can say, quite proudly, I've never been to the Melbourne Cup. Good. And I don't think I ever will because I'm not really interested now. I think I went to the races once and I hated it. <laughs> Did you? You know, first of all, I don't want to wear a suit. <laughs> you know, we're middle class. We, we don't wear suits. But also there's this expectation that, oh, you should like this. You should love the races. Everybody loves the races. And no, I don't think everybody does. So with that being said... I'm going to stop oh, rambling on about let's it. Let's hear this uh, little snippet of your interview. Yes, so we've got a snippet with Elio Kelotto, who is the founder and uh, the chief person at the Nup to the Cup campaign. And we've got a uh, snippet from Monday Breakfast, which is my other breakfast show, where we talk to him about this and uh, all about it. So here we go. The Melbourne Cup... Uh, day is fast approaching, and that's the big day in the horse racing calendar. Um, could you just describe what the Nup to the Cup campaign is and how people can get involved if they're interested? Yeah, sure. Well, we've been running Nup to the Cup for about uh, 12 years now, and it started just with one three-metre by three-metre marquee um, in Newmarket Reserve, which is a small park just up the road from the main entrance to Flemington. And we put up the signs that we had and thought it was an opportunity for us to show people you can have a good time without going to the races and at the same time be a voice for them. Um, and obviously there's a lot of people coming from the city, uh, coming down Epson Road, 
and also Racecourse Road, uh, that would see our signs. And we, we could see the, the horrified looks on people's faces as they, as they were driving by um, or walking by or on trams. And they're horrified to see those images. And from then it's grown to be a proper event where we have music and this year we're uh, holding it in, in the Bowls Club, which is in the park. Uh, we're also going to be doing a demonstration on the corner there, so people, all our signs and it will be up there. And we, and Nuts of the Cup, the idea of Nuts of the Cup is that people can have a great time on Melbourne Cup Day, but instead of being out there being parties, indirect, you know, perhaps inadvertently uh, supporting horse racing by attending a, a, a Melbourne Cup event, um, they can actually support animals and attend one of the many Nuts of the Cup events being held around the country that raise money for animal uh, causes um, rather than giving it to the racing industry that uh, will only further exploit racehorses. So our event is our, is the feature event here in, in Melbourne. And um, we're going to be having two great bands playing, um, the Tarantinos and Play Lunch. Um, there's going to be free bowls. Um, it, it's always a really fun day. We're going to have these silly human races. And it's, it's, it's a really good day. It's a really positive day that people can spend with like-minded people who really care about animals. Mm. Um, we think we have much more fun than um, what they do just across the road um, in, at the Flemington Racecourse. And yep. um, people can get together and feel good about having a good time at, while at the same time raising money for, for animal charities. Mm. Awesome. Well, that's pretty much all we have time for. Thank you so much for for speaking to us about Nut to the Cup and, uh, in general, the horse racing industry. Cheers. Thank you. That was Elio Calotto, uh, the founder of the Coalition for the Protection of Racehorses and the Nup to the Cup campaign. Um, you can find more information on the reality behind horse racing at horseracingkills.com, and that includes uh, data from uh, this horse racing season and also for information on on alternatives to attending the Melbourne Cup Day, you can head to nuptothecup.org. So there you go. That's uh, Nup to the Cup found Elio Colotto talking about the Nup to the Cup campaign. You're going to head to the Nup to the Cup event, John? No, but I like what they're doing. That's yes. good. So if you want to get down, uh, the Nup to the Cup event at Kensington Bowls Club oh. in Newmarket Reserve is where you go. So I'll say that again. Nup to the Cup at the Kensington Bowling Club in Newmarket Reserve, which is just across the road from where the big races are happening. Yeah, it's not far. And there'll be a live demonstration, there'll be live bands, there'll be fun human races and free bowls. A couple of quick AFLW things as yes. we come to the end. Start us off, uh, John. Well, we spoke uh, last week and the week before about this uh, trigger on AFLW, that if... Um, if they could average 3,500 attendees at every match this year, the AFL would extend next season by a game or two. Yep. Anyway, the news is they haven't reached that trigger. They only got to about 2,500 yeah, average. Uh, our response was, look, put the games at grounds where people are going to go yep. and make it easy to buy a ticket. Yep. That's and all I'm going to say about that. Don't start the bloody season during the bloody men's finals campaign. I mean, bloody hell. I mean, come on. Um, there's a rumour going around. Yes, we like rumours. And uh, it's regarding the empty coach's seat 
for the uh, West Coast Eagles women's team. Yep, so the coaches stood down, you know. They had, His name only... was Michael Pryor, he used to play for Essendon. Yep. Good they, player. They only had two wins for the season, one yeah. of which was against Buddy Essendon, of course, you know, go figure. But Now, there's an obvious candidate. Yes, who is that obvious this candidate? This person uh, played uh, 151 AFL matches. Yep. Across a 10-year career with the Eagles and North Melbourne. Yep. And won a premiership with North Melbourne. Yep. This person uh, coached for seven years at uh, the Kangaroos. So very experienced. 149 games and was assistant coach at a Ferris club. So that's a pretty good CV good for resume. a potential coach. Who, who is it? It's uh, Danny Laidley. Oh, hey, Danny. Which would be a great fit. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it just? Uh, I'm reading Danny L. Laidley's book at the moment and I'd recommend it. Yeah. Uh, one of these days I'll do a reading from it or a bit of a review. Mm. But it's fantastic, it's easy to read, and it's really, really interesting. From two points of view, yeah. uh, the footy stuff in there is great. I'm really enjoying that. Yeah. But also uh, Danielle's story of uh, uh, her transition. And, and But the whole thing that happened before that in trying to live, be who she was, but live a lie in public, and yeah. it's, it's, it was... In some ways, it's a terrible story, but it's fascinating. I think Danny Laidley is one of the bravest people in this country. Now, can I promote uh, rotations this Sunday? Of course. Two o'clock. It's me, and I'm going to do something very tricky, which is um, uh, try to give the history of every AFL club anthem song. In one hour. In one hour. Uh, But they all go for about 90 seconds. So it's possible that it's going to be tricky. Uh, can we just give a bit of a? Um, we'll sign off now, yep. and if we've got a few seconds, yep. um, a bit of a taster. It's the Richmond theme song, but not the one you know. The one that preceded the famous one you know. All right, so this is "Onward the Tigers," Richmond 1950s club song. It's to the tune of "Waltzing Matilda." Can you believe it? Oh yeah. <laughs> 